the biggest election fraud of the 2020 cycle. It didn't happen in any voting booth or in any mailing drop box. It's happening now with these people peddling the lie that he won the election. You tell him, George Conway. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Does Kellyanne know you I said got that? The be in trouble. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. Okay. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck oh, in the middle yes. with you. Here I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From with Pacifica you. Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California, on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon, on the Central Coast, on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Rochester, New York, on WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV. Out in Gallup, New Mexico, on KNIZ. In Concord, New Hampshire, on WNHN. Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle, on KODX. Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on excellent Internet-affiliated stations like the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. As the countdown continues, now just 42 days until Inauguration Day. 42 days, count them, Desi Doyen. I am. <laughs> I think those are the only days that at this point actually matter. Because there are 28 days, and this is one we're going to have to keep our eyes on, 28 days until the Electoral College votes are accepted or not by Congress. That is on January 6th. And let me just say right now, uh, you may want to, you know, pack a lunch uh, (laughs) and a dinner and a couple of books because that is going to be a really long day. January 6th, I think it's a Wednesday. Uh, and it is the day that the uh, the joint session that Congress meets in a joint session to go through state by state and find out if there are any objections to the Electoral College votes in each of those states. If there is any objection, actually, if there is one objection among the senators and one objection among the House for any particular state, then that joint session immediately breaks up. The House goes back to the House. The uh, the Senate goes back to the Senate. They have a debate. They argue. And then they decide if those electoral votes shall be accepted or not. And it takes a majority in both houses of Congress to reject those uh, electoral votes from that particular state. Now, since the Democrats have a majority in the House, it's unlikely that any of these challenges will work. But it is also likely that every single state will see a challenge because we have a crazy Republican Party that wants to do anything 
to uh, continue the chaos and somehow continue to please Donald Trump. So that could be a very long day. There's a question of whether any senators, some I've seen, well, any senators step forward and uh, challenge. All it takes is one. And if you haven't noticed, there's a whole bunch of crazy right wing senators in the U.S. Senate. That's January 6th, 28 days away on the day prior to that. On January 5, which we are now 27 days away from, it will be the last chance to cast your vote in Georgia for the two U.S. Senate runoffs that will determine control of the U.S. Senate for the next two years and whether Joe Biden's agenda has any chance of really going anywhere. Uh, We are now just five days away from the Electoral College meeting to cast their votes to theoretically finalize election 2020 that's on uh december uh 14 so that would be next monday oh fun (laughs) uh that's when that happens and we are now past the federal statutory safe harbor deadline for resolving any election disputes for the electoral college at least in theory according to the electoral count act of 1887 at least uh, disputes within states, as I say, at least in theory. But that does not prevent, you know, outside federal challenges, federal lawsuits, for example, by Texas challenging the results in Georgia or in Wisconsin or Michigan or Pennsylvania at the U.S. Supreme Court. Or, as I noted, Congress challenging the results in any of the states on January 6th. But we will get into all of that shortly today. Welcome to another broadcast. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, last week. The hits just keep on coming. Don't they, though? <laughs> last week. Hi, Desi Doyne. Did I even hi. say hi? No. Uh, <laughs> That's okay. Hi. Hi. All right. Last week, uh, allies of Donald Trump accused Republican leaders in Pennsylvania of being cowards and liars. And of letting America down because uh, those uh, folks, those Republicans in Pennsylvania refused to convene and award the state's electors there, which Joe Biden won by more than 80,000 votes to Donald Trump instead. Trump allies denounced the GOP leaders in the Keystone State. Rudy Giuliani, for example, claimed in a tweet that they had, quote, let down America. (laughs) And he called on, quote, all of us Republicans to let them know what we think of them. A Giuliani ally, the former New York City Police Commissioner Bernie Carrick, wasn't he in jail? Yes. That's what I thought. Yeah. Uh, He called the uh, Pennsylvania leadership team's actions, quote, profiles in cowardice. And he labeled the leaders liars and traitors. Traitors. You know what we do with traitors. He then was retweeted by Jenna Ellis, who is on Donald Trump's legal team, who, like Giuliani, by the way, has now tested positive for COVID-19 after their whirlwind maskless trips throughout Michigan and Pennsylvania and Arizona and Georgia, contaminating a whole bunch of Republicans in the the bargain as they were uh, holding pretend hearings with state legislators. As the public pressure from other Republicans came down on them after the Pennsylvania Republicans said that they would not change the laws to award Biden's electors to Donald Trump. Instead, the two top Republicans in the Pennsylvania House 
Brian Cutler, the speaker, and Kerry Benninghoff, the majority leader, they joined uh, backbenchers in the Pennsylvania House to call for U.S. the U.S. Congress to block the Biden electors from their own state. They sent a letter to Congress uh, to justify their call for a congressional challenge with claims of election violations that they have been repeatedly uh, that have been repeatedly rejected by both state and federal courts. Yet these lawmakers wanted to tell Congress, you should reject our electors. You should deny the people of, uh, of, of Pennsylvania. You should take away their votes and block their electors uh, in, in the Electoral College. So the state lawmakers wouldn't do it, but they want the Republican caucus in, in to Congress. do it. Hey, you yes. guys, you guys yeah. take the risk. Exactly. Uh, they're, you know, they're claiming we have we can't do it. We we, we can't convene a session. We we can't uh, change the law, et cetera. But but you guys should do that in the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate. Trump himself uh, had called the uh, top Republicans in the state general assembly as part of his crusade to uh, strong arm the uh, the officials in several different states to reverse the election that he lost. But the Pennsylvania lawmakers told the president they had no power. They just they can't convene a special session on their own to address Trump's grievances. But they did reward his efforts with this letter when on Friday, the state House speaker and the majority leader joined the hard right colleagues there uh, whom they had earlier at least tried to resist in order to call on Congress to reject Biden's 81,000 vote victory in Pennsylvania. So, yes, thugism works in the Trump era, at least when it is by and against other Republicans. Yes, the MAGA mob works. Kim Ward, the Republican majority leader of the Pennsylvania Senate, said that the president had called her to declare that there was fraud in the voting. But she said she had not been shown this, uh, this letter that was sent on Friday, pulled uh, together hastily, apparently, before its release. When she was asked if she would have signed that letter, she indicated that the Republican base expected party leaders to back Donald Trump's claims or face their wrath. She said, quote, if I would say to you, I don't want to do it. I don't want to sign it. I'd get my house bombed tonight. Uh, she was only partially kidding there. The pressure and the death threats on Republicans over the past week by Republicans has been, frankly, chilling, to say the least. We've been talking about it quite a bit on this show. Uh, Pennsylvania is the third state in which Trump is known to have reached out to the top uh, elected Republicans to try to reverse the will of the voters. You remember a few weeks ago, he called the Michigan legislative leaders to the White House to try to twist their arms over the weekend, as we noted on Monday. Uh, he, he called Governor Brian Kemp of Georgia. Uh, on Saturday morning to uh, strong harm him into calling the state's legislature somehow into a session to reverse the election. Neither the Michigan leaders nor Governor Kemp tried to change the outcomes in their states, I guess, to their credit. But they did take steps that would uh, somehow please Donald Trump. In Michigan, the House and Senate Oversight Committees controlled by Republicans, they held those hearings last week to look at the largely false absentee voting, uh, vote counting claims. 
and uh, got infected by Rudy Giuliani as thanks for it. Brian Kemp said uh, that he would he tweeted out that he would favor an audit of signatures on ballot envelopes in Georgia. The uh, thanks that Brian Kemp received for that as a longtime, very Trumpy Trump supporter and vote suppressor in the Pete state was that he was then attacked as a coward who didn't, quote, know what the hell he was doing by Donald Trump that very night at that big rally in Valdosta, Georgia, over the weekend. Ostensibly a rally for Republican Senators Kelly Leffler and David Perdue, who are facing runoffs against Democrats Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff on January 5 to to determine control of the U.S. Senate. Uh, And uh, among the other thanks that Brian Kemp received were uh, tweets like this one from an ally of the sort of crazy Team Trump lawyer, Sidney Powell, uh, a guy by the name of Lynn Wood, who is probably actually mentally ill. He's a Georgia attorney. Uh, But Donald Trump and and others in the MAGA mob have been wildly retweeting this guy in recent weeks. So he he tweeted Linwood tweeted out a photo of Governor uh, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp, again, a Republican with wearing a covid mask. That is a Chinese flag, (laughs) along with the words meet Brian Kemp, governor of Georgia. Brian cares more about communist China and its money than he cares about Georgia, freedom, and an honest election. Brian Kemp is not a patriot. He is a communist corrupted. Brian Kemp is a traitor. Wow. And then there's the picture of Kemp with the mask, with the China flag. And again, you know what we do with traitors, right? Just check the Constitution on that one. Uh, Last week, a top Republican official in the Republican Secretary of State's office in Georgia said that uh, someone is going to get killed if this continues. And in truth, that would not surprise me at all. As the president of the United States himself continues to foment this sort of thing as his own personal fortunes. It's not about the presidency. It's not about the nation. This is about him personally and about his frankly, justifiable terror that he is going to be served with all kinds of criminal and civil indictments the moment he leaves office. So as his personal fortunes get more and more desperate, the closer that we get to January 20th, when he will no longer enjoy the protections from accountability that he currently enjoys as president, he's just going to get more and more deranged each and every day. But, you know, that's a nice house you got there, Madam Republican Pennsylvania State Senate leader. Hate to see something happen to it. So, yeah, they're all playing along wherever they can. I mean, one thing that Bernie Carrick uh, might have been right about, a lot of this is profiles in cowardice. Just not the way that he meant it. Meanwhile, the court cases continue on even after the U.S. Supreme Court on Tuesday unanimously rejected an appeal from a Pennsylvania Republican congressman and a number of state lawmakers hoping to toss out some two and a half million absentee ballots cast in the state of Pennsylvania 
thanks to a uh, an absentee ballot uh, uh, law that those very lawmakers passed late last year. Now they claim that law that they passed, that they voted for, is unconstitutional. But the U.S. Supreme Court unanimously said, nope, not this one. No, thank you. We won't hear it. That was not a good sign for Republicans on Tuesday, but they are, don't worry, they are not giving up on the legal front in their attempt to steal the election from the American voters. And I do hope Americans remember all of this for a very, very long time. The Supreme Court of Nevada rejected rejected an appeal Late on Tuesday night from Donald Trump's campaign to overturn the election results in that state, affirming Biden's win in one of the battleground states that gave him his overall apparent victory in the Electoral College and his popular vote margin of more than seven million votes over the loser, Donald Trump. That was the latest court failure for Trump and his allies. They have lost dozens upon dozens of these cases, more than 50 of them now. Not one has been successful out of more than 50 in state after state, in state and federal courts, in their at least so far unsuccessful attempt to nullify the results of the November 3rd election. No court to date has found evidence to support Trump's repeated claims of massive fraud, even though none of those cases actually offered any evidence of massive fraud. Yeah, they're just doing it in public. They're not putting it in court. Last week, a district court in Nevada ruled that the Trump campaign had not proven a claim that there had been a malfunction in voting devices or that the contest had been manipulated in the bargain. The uh, state Supreme Court on uh, Tuesday night in their decision echoed the lower court's findings, saying we are not convinced that the district court erred in applying a burden of proof by clear and convincing evidence as supported by the cases cited in the district court's order. Uh, That's what the Nevada Supreme Court said in their judgment. The Nevada Republican Party, of course, played the victim, claiming in a uh, statement, quote, full denial of legitimate due process and appellate rights is truly unprecedented, shocking, and extraordinary. They're always the victims, aren't they? They're such drama queens. Biden won Nevada, in fact, by uh, more than 33,000 votes, giving him the state's six votes in the Electoral College, which is, as I noted, scheduled to meet in, uh, in just about five days on December 14 to formalize the outcome in that state and all of the others, with Biden having won 306 votes in the Electoral College to just 232 for Donald Trump. And I know it's been said before, but I think it needs repeating. 306 votes is the number of Electoral College votes that Donald Trump himself received back in 2016 when it was Hillary Clinton's turn to receive just 232 votes. Back then, Donald Trump called it a landslide. Now he calls it a fraud. Tuesday was marked as the so-called safe harbor deadline for states to resolve the disputes uh, arising from the election. Under U.S. law, Congress is at least supposed to consider a state's election results to be conclusive if it is finalized by the safe harbor date. But, you know, those are just laws and stuff. And if you're a Republican, 
Laws are meant to be broken repeatedly. Also, too, they're not done with their attempt to muscle the stolen and packed Republican majority on the U.S. Supreme Court to come around to their side, even after their devastating loss there at SCOTUS on Tuesday. So it is Desi Doyen's home state of Texas to the rescue. <laughs> Arch proud Texas attorney, Texas attorney general Ken Paxton who he's the attorney general of Texas. He is himself indicted on security fraud charges. He has been indicted since 2015. Somehow he has been able to put off uh, hearings and trials on all of this for five years now. Uh, but even though his indictments remain in uh, in state court, he is still acting as the state's chief law enforcement official. So Paxton is now suing Four battleground states. Texas is suing four other states. Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Why not Nevada? Don't know. Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. The reason is because those four states will give them the numbers that they need to overthrow the will of the American people. Those uh, four essentially handed the White House to Joe Biden. As the uh, Texas Tribune reports in the lawsuit, Paxton claims that pandemic era changes to election procedures in those states violated federal law and specifically the U.S. Constitution's elections clause, which mandates that state legislatures are the ones to set the time, place and manner of elections. And according to this radical reading of that provision that we have told you about, that we have warned you about, that we've been trying to give you a heads up about now for weeks, according to the radical reading of that provision of the Constitution, no one else, not governors, not secretaries of state, not boards of election, not, not even state courts, only the legislature by itself, Apparently in a way that no gubernatorial veto could even overcome. Only the legislature can determine anything, any rules, any laws, any regulations regarding elections. And the state of Texas is now asking the U.S. Supreme Court to therefore block those four states from voting at all in the Electoral College. Just throw out their votes. They're not legitimate because they argue, uh, you know, the secretary of state or the uh, the uh, uh, the state courts may have mandated something or other to make sure that all voters could vote as per their state constitutions. The last minute bid, which legal experts have characterized as a long shot, comes alongside dozens of similar attempts by Trump and his allies. The majority of those lawsuits have already failed. As I noted, there is no evidence of widespread fraud in the 2020 election. If there was, I would be here talking about it on the broadcast. But. Most officials, uh, officials in most of the states and even U.S. Attorney General Bill Barr said that, uh, yeah, they don't see any evidence of, uh, of of massive fraud that would change the election results in any way. Bill Barr, of course, is also now in the crosshairs of Donald Trump and the MAGA mob for having said that. In a filing directly to the high court on Tuesday, 
where Texas says that disputes between states may be directly brought without going to a lower court first. They can just go straight to the Supreme Court because it's state versus state. A.G. Paxton claims the four battleground states broke the law and violated the Constitution by instituting these pandemic-related changes to election policies, whether, quote, through executive fiat or friendly lawsuits, thereby weakening ballot integrity. Paxton claimed that these changes allowed for voter fraud to occur and said the court should push back the December 14 meeting of the Electoral College, charging that only the January 20th date for the inauguration, only that date uh, is set by the Constitution. Everything else can be fudged here or there by the Supreme Court if they want to. So he's saying, basically, Paxton is saying that, hey, how those other states yeah. voted and chose to vote yeah. hurts how Texas voted. It hurts. The the argument is that they have a right. Their electors are being screwed over. Their electors who wanted Donald Trump to win are being screwed over because these other Other states states didn't vote for Trump. Well, they violated the law in order to somehow violate the Constitution. And, you know, that allowed Joe Biden to win. And he never should have. I see. There's a one in four quadrillion chance that those four states would have gone to Joe Biden, according to their lawsuit, (laughs) which I have read 154 pages. Uh, I'll I'll share some in a second. Uh, The attorneys for Texas wrote that that uh, December 14 deadline should not cement a potentially illegitimate election result in the middle of this storm, a storm that is of the defendant state's own making by virtue of their own unconstitutional actions. A storm that, by the way, is the word that QAnon conspiracy theorists use to describe the moment when somehow Donald Trump will emerge victorious and vanquish all of the pedophile, baby-eating Democrats (laughs) and other swamp creatures, and I'm not joking, this is what they call the storm, uh, where Donald Trump will save the nation from all of this, throw them all in jail, Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, I guess Bill Barr is now on the list, he's going, he's in the deep state, he's got to go. Seriously, this is what they say. They call it the storm, and that was cited in the Texas lawsuit. In an interview uh, late on Tuesday with Fox News, Paxton reiterated his argument that if those states had, uh, if those states acted out of accordance with the Constitution, Texas would also be affected. He said, "Our job is to make sure that the Constitution is followed and that every vote counts." In this case, I am not sure every vote was counted adding not in the right way. Officials in Georgia, meanwhile, where Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger recertified the state's election results once again on Monday after a statewide machine recount there, that which was requested by Donald Trump, which uh, uh, filled a uh, uh, which followed a statewide hand count called for by Raffensperger himself to try and placate Donald Trump. That followed the actual original statewide machine count. Yes, that is three full counts in Georgia for the uh, presidential race this year. Joe Biden still ended up winning it by more than 12,000 votes. Well, those officials in Georgia have have quickly dismissed Paxton's allegations as um, 
uh, as did the uh, leaders in the other three states as well. But in Georgia, the Republican uh, Deputy Secretary of State, Jordan Fuchs, said the allegations in this lawsuit are false and irresponsible. Texas alleges that there are 80,000 forged signatures on absentee ballots in Georgia. But Fuchs notes they don't bring forward a single person who this happened to, adding that's because it didn't happen. That's the Republican Deputy Secretary of State in Georgia. Michigan's Attorney General Dana Nessel, a Democrat, also dismissed Paxton's, uh, Paxton's suit, calling it, quote, a publicity stunt, not a serious legal pleading. Paxton's actions, she said, are beneath the dignity of the office of attorney general and the people of the great state of Texas. But that did not keep the president of the United States from tweeting and tweeting and tweeting and retweeting about this Texas case dozens of times over the past 24 hours all night long promising that uh, his campaign would join this case and describing it as the big one. This is the big one, he said. We will be intervening in the Texas plus many other states case, he tweeted his grammar. This is the big one. Our country needs a victory. The, that was uh, tweeted uh, on Wednesday. <laughs> Just this morning, the country already had a victory, by the way, Mr. President, when they booted your ass to the curb. Uh, it's not the country that needs a victory right now. You need a victory. Paxton and Trump are, of course, political allies. Their interests often line up in court. Uh, as with the Texas challenge to kill the entire Affordable Care Act and to take away health care from tens of millions of Americans in the middle of a pandemic. Yes, that is Ken Paxton leading the way there. For his part, Paxton, who uh, has been under indictment since 2015 for felony securities fraud charges, uh, he is also now facing a fresh round of criminal allegations from eight of his own top similarly far right wing deputies. As we reported a few weeks ago, months ago, was it weeks or months ago at this weeks. point? Was just it weeks? weeks Are but you it feels sure? Like about it feels six years like ago. yeah, it does. It feels like a while ago. Uh, yeah, just a few either weeks or months ago. His his top officials, eight of his own top uh, people in his own office, including I think his chief of staff, filed a criminal referral to the FBI, charging that Paxton broke the law. By using the agency, uh, his agency in Texas, to do favors for a political donor. The FBI is now said to be investigating Paxton over those claims, according to the Associated Press. So uh, with that in mind, it is notable then that Paxton himself is listed on this lawsuit as the agency's lead attorney in this case. Texas Tribune notes that this is highly unusual for him as the AG to be listed as the lead attorney, he rarely plays a hands-on role, even in the state's major cases. Paxton's new chief deputy, hired after the last one, uh, stepped down because of these criminal allegations against Paxton. 
the his new chief deputy did sign on to the following uh, filing, but conspicuously absent is the agency's top lawyer for appellate work. That would be the solicitor general of the state of Texas, Kyle Hawkins. He's the one who typically argues the state's cases before the U.S. Supreme Court. And he did so as recently as just last month. But Hawkins is not signed on to this thing. Neither are any of Hawkins' deputies. They're not listed as contributing to this case, nor are any of the agency's hundreds of other attorneys. This is just Paxton out there on his own with a couple of chumps and suckers that he was able to get on, you know, twist their arms to signing on with him. And the agency also appears to have hired an outside attorney to handle this case, a guy by the name of Lawrence Joseph to contribute here. That would all, by the way, this private attorney would come at the cost of your taxpayer money, Texans, even though Texas already has literally hundreds of attorneys on the payroll who could handle this. But they don't want to touch it because they know it is that corrupt. And uh, so what is this all really about, at least for Paxton? Well, in addition to, uh, you know, hoping to cow the uh, MAGA mob, uh, this is about, I think, seeking a pardon from Donald Trump for whatever federal crimes that the FBI is now looking at and that Ken Paxton almost certainly knows are about to hit him. Those securities uh, fraud charges that he's already been uh, charged with, those are state charges, I believe. So Trump can't get Ken Paxton off the hook for those, but he can for the federal criminal charges, even though they haven't been brought yet. But as we know, Donald Trump can give a, a preemptive pardon to just about anyone. And I, frankly, I suspect that is what this is mostly about. Please, Donald Trump, any way you can. By the way, just as it is with Rudy Giuliani and his willingness to make an idiot of himself all over the country for Donald Trump, he expects uh, or at least he, he, you know, he, he thinks that he's, he's going to come in for a full presidential pardon as well for all the crimes that he has committed that the Southern District of New York has reportedly been looking at for a very long time. So Paxton better succeed at the Supreme Court or else Trump might withhold that pardon. Well, as long as he gives it the good old college try. Maybe that'll be enough. As long as he breaks the law as best as he possibly can, (laughs) he'll get his thanks, I I suspect. Now, I've been reading through this 154-page lawsuit all morning. It includes... All sorts of stuff and and nonsense that has been long ago debunked. It references, uh, just for good measure right at the top, it references Florida 2000 and Bush v. Gore and charges that uh, the flaws here in this election cumulatively preclude knowing who legitimately won the 2020 election and threaten to cloud all future elections because of the irregularities that exceed the hanging Chad saga of the 2000 election in their degree of departure from both state and federal law. Taken together, these flaws affect an outcome-determinative number of popular votes in a group of states that cast outcome-determinative numbers of electoral votes and uh, says that this court should enjoin the use of unlawful election results without review and ratification by the defendant states' legislatures and remand to the defendant states' respective legislatures to appoint presidential electors in a manner consistent with the electors' clause. Now, it goes through and it cites 
some evidence of, of, of I guess, what they're uh, describing as fraud, including the idea that ballots were uh, suitcases of ballots were taken out uh, in in the State Farm Arena absentee ballots, suitcases full of them were rolled out in Georgia. But that's not true. Suitcases full of ballots being pulled out from underneath tables after poll watchers were told to leave. Well, the poll watchers were not told to leave, and the suitcases weren't suitcases. They were regular old ballot boxes, and they were not secretly put there. They were put there on camera, on the security camera that we have all seen, or that many of us have seen, that is being used to claim there was fraud in the first place here. They also say that there is literally, according to expert analysis using a commonly accepted statistical test, that's what they say, that there is a a less than one in a quadrillion chance that Joe Biden could have won Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin independently without fraud, given Donald Trump's early lead in those states as of 3 a.m. Before all the ballots were counted. Before all the absentee ballots came in. (laughs) One in a four quadrillion chance and less than a four quadrillion chance that he could uh, uh, do that at all, that he could beat Hillary Clinton's result. I mean, we're talking about three states, Michigan, Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, that have gone to Democrats for years and years and years and only barely flipped to Donald Trump in 2016 for the first time, reportedly. So it's not unusual that the Democrat wins Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin and barely took Georgia for the first time in a long time. That's unusual. But the fact that that the Democrat should win those four states is one in less than a quadrillion chance gives you an idea of just how stupid, frankly, this lawsuit is in many ways. Uh, it's bonkers, frankly. It's bonkers. And uh, so bonkers that even George Conway came out of, <laughs> uh, I don't know what kind of a deal that he's got with his wife, Kellyanne Conway, where they both don't uh, talk in public anymore or something. She is, of course, the big supporter of Donald Trump until recently. His senior counselor, uh, George Conway, was on CNN. He had this to say about the Texas suit. This is the most insane thing yet. First of all, I mean, the, the Supreme Court has jurisdiction to hear disputes among states, and usually it's for borders and rivers. The notion that the Supreme Court is going to have a litigation among where states are attacking each other's rules for choosing electors is insane, and they are not going to do that at any point in time. And that and that lawsuit, the that, the case is just lie after lie in it. I mean, we all know we've watched elections for years and we know that, oh, wow, we have to wait for, you know, suburban such and so to come in. And that's a heavily Republican. So we can't call it now. We all know this. And they're they're peddling to the Supreme Court the notion that it's it's anomalous that some some votes in some areas at some points in time are going to be more one sided than others. It's crazy for a member of the Supreme Court bar to do this in the Supreme Court of the United States. Absolutely outrageous. They're throwing in all the garbage allegations of fraud that the Trump campaign wouldn't even put in some of their complaints in federal district court. It's absurd and an embarrassment. And for a public official 
let alone any lawyer, let alone any member of the Supreme Court bar, bring this lawsuit is atrocious. Well, it may be atrocious. That was George Conway, the conservative, longtime Republican attorney and husband of, until recently, Donald Trump senior advisor Kellyanne Conway on CNN. He was, you know, he was in on the he was on the Republican side in the 2000 election in Florida. Yep. He was, you know, behind the 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 attempt to push Bill Clinton out of office back in the 90s. I mean, this is not, you know, some lefty saying that this is crazy, but as crazy as the Texas lawsuit may be, how desperate are Republicans to please Donald Trump and to not get on the wrong side of his Twitter attacks? Well, in Georgia, they're apparently really desperate. Senators Kelly Leffler and David Perdue, they released the statement on Tuesday night praising the lawsuit coming out of Texas. They have taken sides supporting the Texas attorney general against their own Georgia attorney general, also a Republican who has dismissed that suit as, quote, constitutionally, legally and factually wrong. And yet Leffler and Purdue, because they have to win an election in a few days in January 5, they say we fully support Trump's legal recourses and Attorney General Paxton's lawsuit. They, they support the Texas attorney general's lawsuit. So we will see if that lawsuit fares any better before the U.S. Supreme Court than the last one did. Uh, The plain fact is, however, that as crazy as this complaint is, as bereft of facts and evidence as it may be, nobody knows what the crazy and frequently fact-challenged Republican Supreme Court appointees may feel like doing, as there are no checks and balances on them, no matter what it is that they do. So, yes, I think it is important that you know what this case is all about before the Supremes do something that may surprise you. I hope they don't, but if they do, you will have seen it coming. And, of course, all of this nonsense uh, is already having an effect on Georgia, where Brad Raffensperger, the Republican Secretary of State, is returning to form and beginning to suppress the vote in advance of the U.S. Senate runoffs. But we're going to have to hold that for another day because we got more to get to today, including uh, the Green News Report, which we yeah. had to put off yesterday. <laughs> I know. Wouldn't that be nice? Yes. You're welcome. All right. <laughs> quick break. And we will come back with, uh, oh, some other stuff and Desi Doyen's Green News Report straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. You are listening to the broadcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the broadcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter, and we do it all independently without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. We don't play nearly enough Kiss on this program, <laughs> does he? Doyen, thank you very much. Uh, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. New York's mammoth pension fund will divest 
from fossil fuels. Maybe. The state's comptroller announced on Wednesday uh, that this was that they were looking to do this. It sent a shockwave through the climate movement, energized uh, the effort to dump investments that contribute to climate change. I know you are energized by this. Oh, definitely. Uh, Climate advocacy groups praised the fund as the largest in the world to take such a step. Comptroller Thomas DiNapoli said in a press release that the $226 billion retirement fund will aim to transition to a net zero emissions portfolio by 2040. So uh, anyway, I have I've warned you this is not a financial show. And of course, financial shows will never go up against the fossil fuel industry. But if you happen to be invested in the stock market, I've warned you on this show, on the Green News Report, if you still have fossil fuel assets, dump them. Dump them (laughs) while the dumping is good. Well, the world is shifting away from fossil fuels. And that was the reason why the New York State Pension Fund is taking this action. Well, DiNapoli said, uh, who has, by the way, never been in favor of divestment before, he said the fund would complete a review of its energy sector investments in light of the global consensus on climate change and potentially divest from the, quote, riskiest companies. Those that fail to meet our minimum standards may be removed from our portfolio. He said divestment is a last resort, but it is an investment tool we can apply to companies that consistently put our investments long term value at risk. So potentially, maybe he will do this. New York has faced years of pressure from activists to do this, to divest from fossil fuels. It had already divested from 22 coal companies earlier uh, this year. But the portfolio wide review is a huge shift away from carbon emitting investments. The move could pressure other funds like California's gargantuan pension fund. Hello, California. What's the hold up there, Des? Okay, so the California Pension Fund, CalPERS, has actually set a deadline for divestment, but theirs is not until 2050, 10 years later. Come on, people. And and the thing is about this is that by setting a target, that it will probably happen sooner than that, you know, but a target that is not set is a target that is not met. So the fact that, that they're that setting rhymed. the target. Well no, you're okay. Yeah, <laughs> so you know he he said now Dinapoli, the the New York State controller said this is a necessary action because mm-hmm. they have to uh, they have a fiduciary duty to protect their investments for the long term right. for their pensioners because they're going to be paying this pension out through this century and so they have to make sure that they're making the right investments for long term success because this brings us to so called stranded assets exactly where well you explain what well so these stranded assets are things like fossil fuel reserves like how exxon mobil's stock valuation is based in heavy proportion on its fossil fuel reserves what it's going to take out eventually if exxon never takes out those fossil fuel reserves then exxon's value is much lower than it is and it's the same thing with banks why would they why would they not take out those reserves because they'll be stopped they will be stopped 
blocked by legislation around the world that says we are not going to use fossil fuels anymore. Or they'll be stopped by what is happening right now, this organic shift to clean energy mm-hmm. because it's cheaper and the fuel is free forever. You cannot charge for the sun and the wind. You can only charge for the equipment that transitions it to energy. Mm-hmm. So that is how that becomes a stranded asset. The same thing with pipelines mm-hmm. and with natural gas plants or coal shipment terminals that export uh, coal or natural gas to other countries. Those cost billions of dollars. They're building them hand over fist right now. But if they become useless, yeah. then everybody that invested in those those uh, uh, in for that infrastructure right. is going to lose their money on it. And so when Exxon or whoever, BP, Shell, say they are worth X number of dollars, they're counting in all of those reserves, all of those assets, those pipelines the uh, gas wells they hope to exploit in the future. Exactly. The the uh, up in Anwar where Donald Trump is saying, hey, you guys can take out leases right now before I leave on this uh, pristine Arctic uh, before we go. They, If they do take out those leases, they would count that as part of their portfolio a part of their portfolio they would never get to use. Exactly. And so this is a major deal because the New York State Pension Fund doing this will help to pressure companies to shift their operations to align with climate action. And, you know, there's nothing that forces fossil fuel companies to continue to invest in fossil fuels. They could diversify and become true energy companies by investing in renewable and renewable clean energy, solar, wind, geothermal, wave, you know, those kinds of other types of energy they could be going into now. They choose not to. Uh, Richard Brooks, an organizer with 350.org, told the Earther website, quote, we will look back on this as a big moment in the story of the fossil fuel divestment movement. So big news out of New York today. I, uh, I hope he's right. We will see. And for related news, let's take a quick break here, and we will come back with Desi Doyen and our latest, if slightly delayed, Green <laughs> News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. You are listening to The Bradcast. The Bradcast and The Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Well, uh, better late than never, right, Des? Exactly. You know, if Donald Dump, Donald, Dump, Donald <laughs> Trump uh, would just stop trying to uh, undermine our democracy and uh, our entire nation, we would have much more time for your Green News reports. It's true. Sorry. So let's get to it. Our latest Green News report. All policymakers who prioritize mitigating climate risks should see these records as warning bells. November 2020 was the hottest November ever recorded globally. Trump EPA rejects tougher standards on deadly soot despite link to COVID deaths. Denmark sets a deadline for ending fossil fuel extraction. Plus, we have this chemical soup that washes into these creeks in the fall when it rains. Scientists discover pollution from car tires is killing salmon. All of those skid marks and more straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, 
politics, analysis, and snarky comments. But I'll admit, after the way 2020 has gone, I myself have wondered if the world is even worth saving. I'm with you, sister. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, 2020 has broken a lot of records when it comes to, well, certainly to storms, but also to heat this year. Oh, yes, indeed. November 2020 was the hottest November ever recorded globally since record-keeping began in the 1880s. That's according to the European Union's climate monitoring service, Copernicus. What do they know? NASA and NOAA are expected to reach similar conclusions in coming weeks. Copycats. The new November 2020 record breaks the previous November record set in 2016. 2020 is now on track to be one of the top two hottest years ever recorded, and that is despite a cooling La Nina weather pattern in the Pacific Ocean. And that, climate scientists say, indicates that the relentless pace of man-made global warming is overwhelming the possible effects of cooler ocean temperatures. Mm, I am starting to notice a pattern here. We should keep studying this for another 20 or 30 years. Maybe we'll figure it out. Meanwhile, the Trump administration is racing the red light to ensure pollution is as bad as possible before they're forced out of office. As deadly as possible. On Monday, the Trump Environmental Protection Agency rejected setting tougher standards on deadly soot. That's microscopic particles of air pollution. And that was despite scientific evidence showing that soot contributes to the premature deaths of nearly 50,000 Americans every year. Scientific evidence from the administration's own scientists. Health experts say the failure to curb soot pollution is especially deadly right now because growing scientific evidence shows that long-term exposure to air pollution, which already disproportionately affects communities of color and low-income communities, is linked to higher death rates from COVID-19. Oh, well, if it's killing people with COVID-19, obviously they don't care about those people. The Biden administration can restore many clean air and public health standards that the Trump administration has rolled back, but that process will take time. And meanwhile, more Americans may die prematurely from air pollution. However, Georgia voters have the power to save lives in the U.S. Senate runoff elections on January 5th, because if Democrats win majorities in both houses of Congress, then they can repeal these last minute rules. And not a moment too soon. But there is is a source of pollution that's going to be a lot harder to reduce. A new study has found that car tires are the culprit behind the mysterious deaths of coho salmon in creeks around Puget Sound in Washington state. It took scientists 20 years to find the culprit, a chemical soup from roadways that washes into creeks when it rains, contains bits of worn car tires that chemically react to contaminate the water and in turn kill the coho. Wow. University of Washington science Scientist Ed Colliger explains. The chemical that seems to be really problematic and toxic to these fish is actually a preservative for tires. I hope we can get to a point where we have tires that are safe for not just humans driving on them, but also the fish and the organisms that are exposed to roadway runoff. 
Meanwhile, as you gear up for the holidays, new studies have shown that glitter is a source of pollution. The tiny pieces can wash into the environment, harming wildlife. Three major retailers in the U.K. have announced they are eliminating glitter from their branded Christmas merchandise this year because it sticks around a long time after the sparkle has gone and is mistaken as food by fish and birds. Glitter? Glitter. Really? Really. Is there nothing you cannot ruin, Desi Doyen? Finally, some major good news. In a landmark decision, Denmark has become the first major oil producer to set a deadline to end extraction of fossil fuels in its territory. Denmark is the top oil producer in the European Union. They announced they will stop issuing licenses for new oil and gas drilling in the North Sea and will set existing production to expire no later than 2050. Environmental groups noted that 2050 is way too late to end production of oil and gas gas to curb man-made global warming, but they called the decision a watershed moment and a major shift for a country to keep its fossil fuels in the ground. Yeah, let's celebrate. Break out the glitter. (laughs) For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyle. And this has been your Green News Report. All the glitters isn't gold. this song <laughs> it i is love a great this song. song uh yeah you had a follow-up by the way on this uh, denmark story indeed so this is denmark saying that it's going to not pull out the fossil fuel reserves yeah. that it has within its territory and i just want to underscore what yeah. a big deal it is for a nation to leave its fossil fuels in the ground one analyst said that that decision will mm-hmm. translate to an estimated loss of two billion dollars they are saying that a faster timeline would expose mm-hmm. the danish state to compensate Compensation claims from oil companies with the potential to harm our welfare considerably. So that's why they're taking their time mm-hmm. and letting the market sort of shove everybody in that direction. Yeah, but that's that stranded assets you were talking about earlier. Exactly. exactly that. All right. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. And thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is always greatly appreciated. It is an, an honor, in fact. If you missed any portion of today's show, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com or your favorite podcast sites. We try to keep everything I've ever done at bradblog.com or here on the air. We try to make that free, available to everyone uh, forever. But we can't do it without your help because we are 100% listener supported. So if you would like us to stay on the air on your public airwaves and to keep those uh, shows and everything else free forever for everybody. Uh, please feel free to stop by bradblog.com slash donate and throw a few pennies into the tip jar. We could use it and it could uh, help us stay on the air as long as we possibly can, as we are trying to do. Okay, uh, you can drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, you will find me at the bradblog. That is it until we meet again, hopefully tomorrow. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.